Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 17th of April and joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. I've got a bad feeling about audio reviewer Ed Selly. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. And special guest star Mark Botwright. Let's just get this over with shall we? I couldn't agree more Mark. Welcome to the Easter special with a heavy dose of Star Wars thrown in for good measure at some point during this podcast. Uh, we hope you are having a fantastic Easter, celebrating the Easter Bunny's plight and addiction to chocolate and a story that's been told over many generations now. And of course, obviously, look out on Easter Monday as always when he battles the Rolling Stones to win back the Egg of Destiny from Cadbury's. We all know this story, don't we, guys? Well, yes. I mean, let's not forget at the same time, Jesus died so we could have two bank holidays. Is and that who it was? I, I've just got in the running order plus some other dude supposedly came back from the dead on whatever Sunday it happens to be this year it's flexible yeah it's it's flexible I mean you know it's all about faces of the moon as I understand it is it not but um you know it, it is what it is two bank holidays is, is, it, is that what it is phasing or is it is Easter based upon when Passover is and Passover is based upon phases of the moon or something yeah like so in other words Easter is still fundamentally hinges around phases of the moon uh i mean it's one of those things it is what it is isn't it it's it's always a, it, because it's a bit of a movable feast actually do you know what it, it doesn't sit too awkwardly in this schedule this year but you know it's it's fine it's still the case that you know uh it does mean that uh you know roads become nightmarish and any major tourist attraction is just hell on earth or it rains one or the I, other i do like that channel five is trailing it's uh prince docudrama thing for you know a prominent jehovah's witness and it will be aired on easter monday <laughs> brilliant. brilliant if prince came back on easter monday Pretty useful <laughs> i, I but, don't know if uh, these, i don't know if the easter bunny grants wishes like that hard to say yeah as i, I heresy is heresy's chocolate is not really my thing as well so the uh the uh a sort of overconsumption bit yeah of it, where, where does the chocolate come from i, I don't understand that but well, well confe- confectioners never miss a trick do they I found it mildly amusing that there was a big uproar about the fact that they were doing the Cadbury's egg hunt rather than the Easter egg hunt. And everyone's going, oh, you're taking Easter out of... What? There wasn't any Cadbury's chocolate eggs at the <laughs> crucifixion of Jesus, was there? I mean, well, all that stuff, the bunnies, the eggs, well, that's I mean, all st- just where well, they basically taken the pagan it was, festival. It was, all made up any, it was all made up anyway, so there could have been Cadbury's there. It's complete fiction. I would have I would have hoped that the Son of Man could have gone for a more high-quality chocolate myself, but, you know, <laughs> no palm <laughs> no, oil. Oh, yeah, we've, we've been there. Let's not, go, let's not go that way again, please. <laughs> it's a particular hobby horse of mine, I know. <laughs> yes, we all know about that. Um, right, so uh, before we move on, I just wanted to quickly mention some sad news, and um, we absolutely must mention this on the podcast. Normally, we might cover the passing of um, celebrities... Uh, that none of us personally knew, but we feel the need to comment on it anyway, and, and so on. Well, sadly, this week, we've got to pass on some sad news closer to home with the Navy and Hi-Fi world, because um, veteran Hi-Fi and Navy journalist Alvin Gold sadly passed away last weekend. Now, Alvin was uh, someone who I met fleetingly, not a lot. I didn't know him personally, um, and I didn't have a close friendship with him, but on the occasions that I did meet him on the circuit, as we say, at press launches and press trips and that kind of thing i always found him welcoming always found him friendly he never turned his nose up at anybody he would stand and talk to you he he might not have the same points of view as you but he was willing to stand and listen to different arguments and so on and i have to say i can remember reading his reviews and his stuff in various magazines going back decades uh, and decades Um, you know when i first got into the hobby i remember reading alvin's stuff and 
it wasn't until recently that he, he just appeared to stop working and I don't know why it might have been through illness or whatever or he might have retired I, I don't know I lost touch with him around about 2011 but Ed I know that you knew Alvin really quite well I knew him re- relatively well yes uh, he was um, one of the uh, writers for Hi-Fi Choice when I, I was the full-time staff writer and it, you know uh, he, at times uh, Alvin was uh, entirely infuriating to uh, have as part of your working team uh, deadlines were Things that you felt were an impermeable deadline, Alvin had more of a relaxed opinion towards. Um, and uh, there are some exciting stories about the condition of equipment that came back from review with him. But it must be said, if Alvin was given something that fired his imagination, either positively or otherwise, my God, could that man write. He was seriously, seriously good. On his day, he could spin sentences that just, you know, I don't get anywhere near that. He was absolutely fantastic. He was, as you say, um, always happy. He was quite content to listen to other people's takes on on things even if he didn't necessarily agree with it and i will say he was also pretty forward looking i mean i remember having a conversation with him it has to be at least 10 years ago and probably a little bit longer than 10 years ago and he was absolutely adamant at that point about the nature of uh network streaming and 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 things like that and he made sort of made it very clear that it wasn't necessarily his cup of tea but he was absolutely convinced right at that point that that was the future of of, of where it was going and, and things like that and um i would say that yeah i mean some some of the some of the copies turned out i mean it, a lot of it can be located online if you just take a take take a moment to read some of it because it really is a, a how-to in how to cover some quite high concept uh, stuff but make it accessible approachable and above all fun to read so you know if there's anything you can take away from that the man leaves a considerable legacy in that regard and he was, yeah, he, 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 he made our industry a little bit better. One of the few hi-fi writers as well who didn't really go with the snake oil stuff either. He, he really had his own opinion on that as well, which was what, what attracted me to his writing a lot of the time. And, and again, he never used the, the common buzzwords that a lot of AV journalists and, and hi-fi journalists tend to fall back on these days. They always have the same terminology and ways of describing things, whereas um, he didn't. No, no, no. Um, it, it, he was... Um, uh, perfectly capable of um, creating metaphors, the likes of which we will probably never see ever again. So not not they didn't work every single time, but when they did, they were fantastic. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it is it is sad. I mean, on a on a you know without going into unnecessary detail, Alvin has been ill for a, a fairly long time. Um, I mean, his output as a writer had pretty much ended uh, best part of six or seven years previously. So in some regards, it's not hugely surprising. But nonetheless, he was um, a, you know, one, one, of the, one of the most significant UK audio journalists. And he turned out some absolutely brilliant work. Uh, so I want to pass on our condolences here from everyone at AV Forums to Alvin's family, friends and colleagues. He was a really nice guy and he will be missed. Talking about the oldie days of hi-fi, did anybody catch the BBC Archive film, which is on their Twitter feed, showing a 1959 film highlighting audiophiles? It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, I, I have to watch it with a, a degree of sort of self mockery, but it's it, you know at least at least I know I'm just in a long distinguished line of lunatics. At, uh, at first, Ed, I thought it was a parody. <laughs> I, I seriously thought it was a parody at first, and then it it slowly started to 
the pennies started to drop that actually this was a serious news piece from 1959 because every character in it is uh, do you remember the old sketch show with um uh mel smith and it's not uh, the nine o'clock, o'clock news not the nine yeah. o'clock news and the the hi-fi sketch it is like that but, but it predates it predates it by 30 years yeah <laughs> Uh, it's brilliant. Well, we'll get a link to it into into the comments because it's it's well worth eight minutes of anyone's time. Um, and yeah, I tell you what, uh, you know, you you might think that you're you're pushing the envelope, being uh, being a bit geeky about uh, you know HDR and all the rest of it, but you weren't having to build and set up your own crossovers. So uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah. The, there's this guy building his hi-fi, and he invites his guy his friends around. And and there's the obligatory woman there just to make it a group. And <laughs> and as they come in, the camera pans down to his dustbin, which has his all his old hi-fi <laughs> in the dustbin because <laughs> he's got the latest crossovers and electrical crossovers and stuff. And and he's in stereo. And in yeah. stereo, yeah. And I was absolutely peeing myself laughing with them moving around the room <laughs> to try and get the sweet spot. It was so funny. So yeah, we'll stick that in the comments. It's, it's uh, it was it was it fair brightened up my Twitter yesterday. It did, yeah, that was excellent. Thanks for sending it to me, uh, Ed. I needed a laugh at that minute in time, and uh, <laughs> I was in tears. Really good. Uh, right, and before we move on to uh, competitions, anybody else going to fly United Airlines ever again? <laughs> My God, United Airlines if... were always crap. So this is hardly news, is it? They, American Airlines in general, I don't mean American Airlines, the company. I just mean airlines that are based in America are all rubbish. They're the worst airlines in the world. United is no worse or better than any of them. But yeah, I, I, just I don't know, Steve. That... I don't think they've carried out. I don't think I can't remember many of the others, you know, physically assaulting that many of their passengers. They no, didn't that... physically assault the passenger, though. It wasn't United Airlines staff, was it? Weren't they... Um... Security staff at the airport. That this yeah. is undoubtedly <laughs> true, but it, it you know, meant I, I just have I don't know. Maybe I'm a, a reckless optimist here, but I do get the feeling that I don't know. Perhaps the staff of some other airlines, what I've gone like e- easy to easy guys. Let's 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 not get too yeah. Much blood the, on the the, there was there was that aspect. Uh, the bit that you don't see in the video is the fact that the guy has been speaking to him for a little while, and then this the, it, what can only be described as the henchman because he was wearing a pair of jeans, which is not strictly uniform for anybody um, but he had a security jacket with a badge on but it, it didn't look like the other guys he was the one that manhandled him and smacked his head off the the rest on the other side of the chair I don't know if he caught that in the video but he absolutely smacks his head off of there could have knocked the, knocked the bloke out or killed him the way that he did it yeah I mean obviously someone with a with a background like mine where we used to get trained on a annual basis in techniques to move people without resorting to getting physically hands-on there's certain pressure points that you can put on people to persuade them to move on and and so on none of that it was just a case of right you're you're off and it was the stupidity of it that everybody's got a cell phone nowadays everybody's got a video camera on them and everybody's can suddenly become a journalist and well, yes. and and capture that and that's exactly what happened and then the, the fact that the CEO then turned around and said well he's been belligerent completely missed the point so right. if if you want a, an exercise of how to do PR really badly that that will be a case study for decades to come but it's not like- the, the other it's, it, it doesn't even end there because of course then having um uh, successfully um uh, ensured that he's probably due a fairly healthy payout from the airline industry. The press then decided to get the poor sod's name confused with another doctor of the same name with some 
dubious medical past and decided to then try and make that stick on him yeah. and of course it's not the same guy so he also stands presumably to be in line for quite a healthy payout for defamation uh, from the US media a painful but ultimately quite lucrative <laughs> journey well, for him every, yeah. every cloud and silver lining I think, he's, he, I think he deserves the, the better part of it but um, yeah it, it's just it, he, he, he had a splendidly bad splendidly bad 24 hours they offered to pay the cust- the the people on the flight anyway. That was the weird thing. The kind of three levels of escalation, like they want to find these four seats for people, and so then they start off by offering a few hundred. Then I, th- I think it worked out something like about eight hundred or something like that. Eight hundred was their maximum yeah. offer. And yeah, it would appear but, the maximum offer they can do is thirteen fifty. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the who biggest... was the person who agreed to the first figure and then sees sees them go up again and then <laughs> thinks if i'd have just held it's on so perhaps good. he was doing that kind of price is right thing oh, well, i'll just see, hold on and then the, the final offer is we beat the shit out of you and drag you from the plane <laughs> we well, see mark it's actually a thing in the industry where and, and a lot of people play on this because a lot of people actually target uh, flights that have been overbooked because there's always the compensation angle and the thing is that if you go up to the if they're looking for volunteers and you go up to the desk and you say I'm not coming off for $400, but if you give me $800 or if you give me return tickets to some somewhere you want to go or whatever, usually you'll get it, whatever you ask. And there's some people make a lot of money by just targeting flights that are overbooked and then volunteering, but going to the desk and negotiating. Um, That's fair enough, though, what, what the mean, conversations. The yeah. They really overbook their flights anyway, which is yeah. what they do on every flight. Well, I've, 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 I've been sat in the plane. Well, that that was that was the biggest problem though they they were already sat in the plane. Yeah. What they should have done yeah. was they should have done it at the gate, yeah. Um, yeah. which is where a lot. Of people, the, and it's happened to gate. me. It's happened to yeah. me, and I got four hundred odd euros or whatever it was, and to fly the next day. I mean, it didn't help that it was CES and I missed press day. Didn't miss much, Phil. <laughs> I didn't miss much, no. But um, the, the thing was, I had no choice in the matter. I wasn't getting on that plane, even though there was a seat empty behind Steve. I wasn't getting on that plane because they decided that it was overbooked, and we were. That was the conversation. But if I'd known I could neg- negotiate, I would have. <laughs> believe yeah. me, if I'd known at the time. And so, so what always happens with these things is uh, Twitter and Facebook and everybody else. Everybody becomes a comedian, and some of the stuff has been absolutely. Bro- I mean, my favourite is I can't remember the airline. I think it might have been Southwestern or Northwestern. Which was we beat our competition, not you. Which I thought, <laughs> which I thought was great. I thought that was excellent. Um, there was the Indiana Jones meme from yeah, uh, Last Crusade. Play, it's really funny. Too. Yeah, and um, there's, oh, there's one in front of me here. United Airlines. We came here. We came here to sell seats and kick ass, and we're all out of seats. <laughs> uh, there's also the uh, the training videos, which are just clips from uh, Airplane. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, yeah. really funny, really funny stuff. So um, uh, there was a bloke trying to. There's a photo of a bloke trying to board a United flight wearing a uh, a bo- you know the uh, boxing, boxing helmet, helmet. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I, I dare say they were slight. They weren't taking in the spirit it was possibly intended. But, uh, but has it? Yeah. Has I mean, it put I, anybody... Do you know what? I've never flown United. Uh, so I, I, yeah. I'm pleased to say that my boycott of the airline extends back to 1980. I so. I have flown. Uh, uh, 2010, and I, I didn't find them particularly bad. I didn't, you mean, you didn't I, get I, beat I, I didn't get beat up, so I was all right. <laughs> try and drag me off the plane. They didn't tell me. I mean, I've got, let's be honest. If you're sat on the plane and someone says, "Can you get out of your seat?" It's like, no, I'm definitely not moving at this point. I'm in the plane, <laughs> unless you offer me a substantial yeah. financial. Yeah. Well, well, you but, see, uh, that, that that is the bit. But the, the thing I don't understand either is that he identified himself as a doctor and that he absolutely needed to be at work the next again day. 
So you would have thought that common sense would have kicked in at that point and they would have said, right, they okay. They found themselves a hi-fi journalist. F- fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of trust them as far as you could throw them and you couldn't have thrown them very far. Um, no, you would have thought that common sense would have kicked in at that point and they would have said, all right, okay, fair enough. We'll run, we'll run whatever poll it was that they were doing to pick volunteers. Um, that's another thing. Pick volunteers. You don't pick volunteers. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely newspeak, isn't it? <laughs> We're picking volunteers. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, right, enough of this rubbish. Let's move on. And uh, Mark, why don't you tell us what we can win in the current competitions? Okay, dokes, you can win a copy of Bleed for this on Blu-ray. That one closed on the 23rd of April. We've also got a copy of Swiss Army Man on Blu-ray. Also ends on 23rd of April. And you can win a copy of all competitions open to all members eligible uh, resident oh, yeah, in sorry. the UK and the Isle of Man. Once again, Ron Burgundy syndrome there. <laughs> so we, we can so we can win a there. we can win a copy of all competitions. We can win a copy of the terms and conditions. On oh, the terms, right? Okay. Yeah, we won't even ask you a question for that. You can just have it. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, any previous competition winners, Mark? Well, it says none, but I assume we must have at least one as some. No, the competition may have. The competition actually ends on Monday, so clearly we don't have a winner yet, but there won't be any point you mentioning the competition because they won't be able to enter it. Like a kind of Schrodinger's competition winner. He exists, <laughs> but does he? At this present moment in time, he doesn't, but he will. Well, Unless you open the box the man and look in the future. at him. Uh, and we're assuming it's a him. But then I guess at 98% uh, male users of the site, it's a pretty good guess. Ah, <laughs> you say that, Phil. And that would be lo- the logical conclusion you would make, given statistics for our membership. You think that must be, probably be a bloke. In fact, quite a high probability of women win the competitions, which suggests they're the kind of people that are just entering competitions. I'm not going to argue because uh, we're running out of time and we're, we're not even in hardware yeah, news yet. we to get on with this podcast. <laughs> uh, right, so Ed, why don't Sorry. you tell us all about the new music cast adapter, which you went all the way to, was it Germany? Yes, I went to Frankfurt. Frankfurt. And for- I didn't have any violence on the plane at all. Any sausage? Uh, do you know what? No sausage either. Uh, it was um, that. What? So it, it you, was good you went and bad. to you went to Frankfurt and didn't I have a saw sausage. an enormous curryverse stand at the show, but it was separated by me by two floors and a thick pane of reinforced glass. And much <laughs> as I like curryverse, uh, I felt that those were two obstacles I couldn't easily overcome. So right. uh, let's let's talk uh, I would some like hard to stress that Yamaha did not starve us; they fed us other things, just not sausage. So. Let the record state that. Right, yes, I went along to this. Uh, the long and the short of it is that um, this is not a normal show to show uh, Hi-Fi and Home Electronics at, but uh, Yamaha does not attend the Munich show, which is next month, um, but it does go to this uh, Frankfurt show for musical instruments, and uh, it goes in a big way, in so much as it basically books an entire hall for Yamaha things and given that they had a bit of space in said hall they decided to um, bring a few of us along and show uh, this device and give us some pointers on where MusicCast is going after this point. Uh, The device first of all it's called the WXAD10. Uh, there's little news stories about it. Uh, the price is now confirmed at £150. And what it does is it will make anything that you already own with an analog input uh, part of a music car system. It will uh, just essentially you get a little a little box with uh, an RCA and a um, 
and a, and a jack output which i'll come to in a bit which is why it's got that um and it's got the standard music cast niceties it will stream via upmp it has access to spotify and cobuzz i believe tidal has been announced as coming uh but it's not there quite yet and um it's fully app controlled and if you add one to your to a system it turns it into a music cast component and when you bring up the music cast app which i know steve's definitely used i don't know if you've used it phil it would simply show as one of the devices that you can select as either a standalone room or as part of you throwing music all the way around the house and it will just bring every any any sort of device back into the into the music cast family um it must be said that for 150 quid it does quite a lot of things and I, i've got a device a, a review sample and i will be um trying to get uh some copy out on that so you can see where it stands but a, an early early first impression is that it does an awful lot of stuff for not a lot of money which is always quite useful um as well as this yamaha was sort of saying about where where they're going with music cast the first thing and it's i guess this is pretty important is as far as yamaha and everyone else is concerned music cast has been a success they're now up into third position in terms of uh multi-room sort of domestic sales uh they're behind sonos and bose they make no bones about the fact at the moment they're quite a long way behind sonos and bose but they are outperforming the other japanese house brands who have all been sort of knocking this equipment up the other area which may or may not be of interest to you as readers or listeners even um the when i went to the uh last music cast event in italy uh they had modified the system so it could be work with parts of their self-playing pianos the disc claviers and i said at the time it was like the most impressive answer to a question that no one had ever asked well the good news is that they've sort of been working on this and the ad the wx ad 10 the reason it's got that jack output is that it can be connected to the less expensive electric pianos the clavinovas and so on and so forth and there seems to there there's a bit of a sort of gap in the amount of information we got but the inference is that their yamaha is going to be working further on using these devices as means of creating training and practice software for the electric pianos so you can play the piano part of well-known bits of music and so on and so forth it's just to encourage people to to practice and learn and not just sit there playing music which is of no interest to them and you know some uh, some actual demonstrations on stand were were quite impressive in this regard i mean obviously i'm sort of biased my wife is a piano teacher so things like that possibly slightly more interesting to me than they are for, for normal people but nonetheless i thought it was quite cool and quite clever and there is also totally separate to specifically yamaha i went along to this music show it's the first time i've ever been to it i have to be honest having gone it's time that av companies and hi-fi companies stopped making excuses about their stuff being big and expensive and difficult to take to shows if i mean as i say yamaha had their their own hall it's not a surprise that they brought a large number of pianos with them but trust me when i say they bought a large number of pianos with them but there were much smaller companies who had brought items with them that weighed more on their own than an entire stand's worth of av things and are vastly more fragile and complex to move than say a 77 inch screen there is 
no reason uh, having seen it, it it does it does sort of demonstrate that there is an idleness on the part of us as an industry that we just accept that certain things are just a bit big and impractical to take to shows that just doesn't permeate towards the musical instrument people they are prepared to take some outlandishly large and difficult things and it did it does make us look a bit lazy and inept well, said. you know it has to be said as well ed that um, a lot of these different shows and a lot of these different venues all charge different amounts of money um to have space on their floors and so on it shows and we've only done it once as a company and it is prohibitively expensive just well, to there have... is that. yes so uh, I, I can i can see where you know budgets are being cut we're still in austerity and you know a lot of companies that that used to be the flag bearers for such things even i mean companies like panasonic who do all the shows i mean there are every show whether it's a photography whether it's professional whether it's consumer whether it's uh, you know TVs or whether it's white goods or whatever, you know that company they and recently just looking at their stands. I mean CES was a big eye opener, Steve. The stand was a third of the size it used to be. I mean remember the first mm. year we went there and had the they had the film directors on stage. They had a big stage area where they had you know things happening during the day and and it obviously spent an absolute fortune because there was huge screens everywhere and it was screen walls and all sorts. You wouldn't recognise that stand from back then in 2010 to 2017 it was no, such a difference it was incredible i mean the, the first time that i went there i think it was the first time they had an amphitheater so people were seating to watch various shows they had that 150 inch screen up on the wall with yep. those other displays huge screens behind next to it then they, they did that where they announced the star wars blu-ray release and they, they had did, darth yeah. vader and the yeah. stormtroopers come on the shot they darth had the vader. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit on the short. He's a bit five foot uh, seven. <laughs> um, they they had the panel with Michael Mann and Oliver Stone and Baz Luhrmann. Uh, yeah, I mean that was my first. I thought, blimey, this is impressive. And it's gradually every year after become it's less, less impressive. Less. <laughs> yes. And now, well, sadly, this year, for example, we were there. Was it there was one TV in a corner? The um, yeah, EZ one thousand. I think was the only thing. Yeah. Maybe uh, no, no, the, 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 the 952 was there, but they were both shoved in a corner out of the way and nobody was looking at them. It was all white goods and, and, and other products and beauty products and that kind of thing. So it just shows you how how the industry is strange and, and the fact that the, a lot of them just don't have the money to spend these days. And there's no money in TV. Um, so the only people still doing the really, really impressive stuff are the likes of Samsung. Uh, and then you're looking at the Chinese companies like Hisense and so on. So I get what you're saying, Ed, about we need more AV at these shows, especially something like the Bristol Sound and Vision show. I mean, having the Vision word up there, you know, you could almost get them on the Trades Description Act. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, I get what you mean, but at the same time, it's just so expensive, and and these products are just not making money for the companies at the minute. No, this is true. there is a better margin on piano. I would say it's not all. It's not all in favour of the music show, though. I having been in a space i suppose 10 meters by 10 meters which had uh, about 15 15 20 pianos in it and every single piano had someone sat at it all of the people playing the piano could play the piano but it doesn't mean that 20 people playing 20 <laughs> different songs on 20 different pianos still doesn't sound bloody awful i'm never going to complain about noise li- noise leakage at hi-fi shows uh, ever the, again the funniest thing was that when i was coming through high school and there was a, there was something similar to that where there was loads of pianos everywhere um electronic keyboards and um 
the only thing that people could play because it was the only thing they'd been taught in the music class because the music teacher couldn't play any music musical instruments. Maybe <laughs> it's the music teacher. <laughs> the only thing anybody could play was Axel F. <laughs> so that's all you ever heard. If anybody walked up to the piano, that's all they played was Axel F. Because it was the only thing that this guy could teach people how to play. Well, there you go. But um, yes, it was. Um, it was. It was. It was. It was interesting. And I. I think the AD10 has has shown some considerable promise. And I hope to get that review up presently. Uh, so do I. Uh, thanks for that, Ed interesting stuff this multi-room thing because it's it's just going to get bigger and bigger as as things go on and uh, it's good to see that Yamaha have managed to get a foothold in in that market be interesting to see how well they do in the years ahead talking about revolutionary products uh steve you've had one in recently um it's it's got freaking lasers um (laughs) (laughs) you it's not a mutated sea bass is it no do not look in the lens i can tell you that from experience (laughs) What have you got in your sight back? Is it laser surgery? Bloody hell, that was bright. <laughs> uh, so, right, you've been looking at the JVC Z1, which comes in at a measly £35,000. Yes, your sir, for a very uh, very reasonable £35,000. Um, this is the one of those rare times in this job where we get to look at kit that is, where, you know, vastly out of our personal price league. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's a bit like being asked to review a Ferrari or something like that when you get a chance to, to try something that, there's a there's a real high end product, and yeah, thirty five thousand pounds. That that's a lot of money in anybody's book, I suspect. Uh, why is it so expensive? Well, uh, first of all, it's it uses JVC's first domestic consumer DILA native four K device, and if that wasn't enough, it also includes a laser light source. So you've got a, a native four K laser projector. It's the size of a small car. It doesn't just cost as much as a small car. It's the size of a small car. Um, I had to fashion a here temporary but very sturdy projector stand for this um for this uh, for this review just for this review basically because i've got a stand they use for other projectors and they're obviously you know they vary in weight and size but they're all within a certain you know criteria this thing is um massive absolutely massive and it weighs a lot it's a proper two-man lift there's no way i was getting it on on my own so i got a friend to come around and said create the stand and then jvc delivered it and we got it out of the car we got it up on the stand. I'm not going to lie. There were points during the five days that I had the t- had the um, projector in uh, in in the home cinema that I did nip it every now and then and check the stand because I thought if this falls down, not only is I'm going to break 35 grand worth of projector, but it's going to take everything else with it. So uh, I did keep checking it. But yeah, set it up. Once you've got it installed, it is actually very easy to set up because you know it has motorized lens controls for focus and for zoom and for shift, and it also has lens memory. So I can set it up at 1.85 to 1 and 2.35 to 1 for my screen. I've got to say, the lens memory in when you're using it, it is smooth as silk and significantly better and more impressive than on the less expensive JVC. I, I did notice of, that in the video footage that you sent. Yeah, through. did you see that in the video? Yeah, it yeah. looks really, really, really smooth. smooth. Yeah. You can see that obviously they're porting in some of their pro tech. into the. In the you can, I guess at that kind of price point, you can call it a semi-professional product. Yes, it's aimed at the consumer market, but clearly it's using a lot of pro tech in there as well and it is also aimed at the custom install market mainly and large venues too and yeah that, so that's smooth as silk uh so anyway set it up and uh the first thing you'll notice is it's really really bright um laser light source is incredibly bright. i was using it on the low setting and i had the iris show, shut right down for standard dynamic range what size content. of screen are you steve i'm about 10 foot wide scope ratio yeah so i mean this projector just to you know obviously put it in context this is this is designed to be 30 foot and below 
in terms of the yeah, screen yeah. sizes. Um, so yeah, on your screen, it's going to be mega bright. It was, it was very bright. And um, that's great news, obviously, with HDR. So the one thing I will say about this projector, regardless of price for the time being, is that if you're watching HDR content, this is the best projected HDR image I've seen. I mean, TV is obviously much better. So aspects, they can do the peak highlights that a projector just cannot do. But as a projected HDR image, this is really impressive. Obviously, you're native 4K, you're obviously 10-bit. You've got the increased brightness, and it's got a massive color gamut. It's 82% of Rec 2020. So it can do absolutely 100% of DCI-P3, no problem at all. And it tracks it accurately. So HDR content looked amazing. SDR content also looked really good, as did 3D, because again, the added brightness makes that a real advantage. The one area where it lets itself down, and I guess this is a function of the increased brightness as much as anything, is that they've raised the black floor. So I never thought I'd be saying this about a JVC projector, but the, JV, the black levels on this JVC are very disappointing. Yeah. You've seen it yeah. yourself, Phil, haven't you? you well, go. I saw it on a 220-inch screen, so you know where it's supposed to be used. <laughs> where it's supposed to be used. It was in the... Um, Mercedes World, Mercedes Benz World, the so cinema. their big cinema room uh, on their on their massive screen, and they use a, a DCI uh, digital projector normally in there, um, low resolution, gotta say, <laughs> uh, the normal projector in there. But yeah, JVC had set it up in that room on that massive screen, and it had the brightness to fill the screen, but the contrast was absolutely rubbish because they're they're raising the the brightness so high and they're raising the black floor and even when they zoomed it into 100 inches it didn't make any difference in terms of the contrast so yes it, it, you know they're really pushing the hdr side of things but that is at a cost yeah i was a bit suspicious when i looked at the specs and it said uh, contrast ratio infinity to one oh, hello <laughs> what's going on here then because that's only if you turn on the dynamic laser laser function where it will turn the laser off on a black screen. And clearly, obviously, if it's a black screen, it's going to be zero. Divide anything by zero, yeah. you have infinity. That's not representative of the actual contrast performance of the projector. In terms of watching actual content, not a black screen with a laser turned off, you're looking at around 9,000 to 1 contrast ratio. That's why I mentioned it out. And, you know, that is a significant drop down from what we would expect from a JVC. I mean, if you get talking yeah. about um, the 7,000, for example, that you reviewed, what was that, 40,000, 50,000? More than that, even. Uh, Maybe yeah. near so, 100,000 to 1 native contrast yeah. ratio. It's about that. Um, so so what you're looking at is you're looking at a contrast ratio which is roughly about the same as a, a mid-range DLP projector. Basically, yeah. Yeah, and, that's the, and it is, that is the one area where it lets itself down. In, other, in many other respects, it's a, a very, you know, it is a very impressive piece of technology. As a statement from JVC, there's 4K, there's laser, fantastic. And hopefully we will see this trickle down to cheaper models in the future. But if you ask me, would I spend 35,000 quid on it? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Because you can get almost as good and in some respects better, some, almost as good and in some respects better from a projector like a 7,000 or 7,500 for uh, 5,000 pounds. So, uh, you know, yeah. a seventh of the price. Oh, obviously, the thing there is a 7,000 is going to struggle on a 30-foot screen. Yeah, but I'm assuming most people don't have it. Obviously, like you say, Phil, this projector is aimed at um, the custom install and the large venue market. That's that's what it's aimed at. Yeah, it's not really aimed at anyone's you know small lounge or home cinema at home. Clearly, go for something more practical for that. Um, so yeah, it, it was fun though. Having it in was great fun. I really enjoyed it. I watched Rogue One on it. That looked amazing. I thought you know it's just great fun. But um, yeah, I wouldn't even if I had thirty five grand to spend on a projector, I wouldn't on this one. I would definitely yeah. wait. Um, I mean, a lot of the cost obviously goes into the chip manufacturer as well as the glass. You got to say that the glass in this is fantastic. Oh, full glass lens and that's where the money goes it really does yeah the, sh the sharpness of the image with a native 4k d um like i'd say fantastic piece of motor find them which is a native 4k di or lucy or anything revenant 
the level of detail that projector could deliver onto a big screen was absolutely incredible. So that aspect, yeah, and that's where a lot of the money has gone into this really high quality, all glass lens. And it needs to be entirely glass, not just for accuracy's sake, not just to deliver that pristine, detailed image, but also because this thing shoves out a staggering amount of heat. It's really noisy too, because of all the cooling involved, um, particularly in the higher laser modes. Um, but it pumps out some serious heat. I mean, if it had been doing this review in winter, I could have left that on and not bothered hitting up the room. <laughs> so much heat coming out of those vents. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was fun having it in for a week. Um, you know, it's, it's a pleasure, you know, and a privilege to get a chance to play with something like that for a week. But, uh, you know, if you're asking me honestly, would I drop 35 grand on it? Then I have to be honest and say, no, no, I wouldn't. Because, yeah. as I say, that you can get better or, or nearly as good. But these, uh, the products like this have to exist for the technology to come down further yeah. down the line. So, you know, um, in in this respect, this is what we've been waiting for for a number of years from JVC is 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 for them to develop the DILA chip at, at a native 4K resolution. It's not going to happen overnight, but now that this product has been delivered to the marketplace, then hopefully not next year, but probably the year after, we might start to see those chips then hitting the consumer. And it'd be the high-end consumer market at 10 grand or more. But then you start to see it coming down and into the projectors. And there's no rush, really, because E-Shift 3, or E-Shift 4 that we're on now, I think it is, um, does an excellent job as it is at the price point. Um, And we've had it next to the native Sony, and at eight feet back from a a 100-inch screen, you're hard pushed to, to tell on resolution alone anyway. So, I don't think there's 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 as big a a, a need for the four, native four K, and don't be fooled by the DLP stuff coming through this year. That's not native four K, um, it's not a native four K chip from from DI either. So, but again, it'll do the job that technology. So, I don't think people should be turning their noses up at products like this and at products um, that are going to come in this year where they're not quite native 4k and all the rest because there's, there's really at the minute there's no need for it yeah was it was it was it four years ago that i reviewed that sony um vw uh thousand level thousand yeah 1100 rather uh, that was the first 4k consumer projector seventeen thousand pounds i think it was at the time um you know and that was stunning for what it was obviously i had nothing 4k to watch on it. i had to drive down in his car didn't he, with, a, with a pc in the boot to put yeah. something on for me um, but that's trickled down. You had the ten thousand point price point. Then we're talking about eight thousand for the but, but even, even eighteen twenty and less than that now. Eighteen months ago, Steve, it was still the same where we didn't have four K material to test on yeah, the Sony's, true. and the, they were still sending us media players through to, to 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 get that content. So, you know, it has come quite quickly where we've we've now got UHD Blu-ray, and we've got other sources coming now from the likes of Netflix and and Amazon and so on. That's that's really quickly in the last 18 months really come come about so i still think it's going to be another two or three years before you'll see a native 4k projector from jvc but this product really has to happen and has to be there for for that development to to continue so fingers crossed that they don't go all out for hdr and ruin what what is the big big thing with uh with jvc which is the black levels and the contrast yeah I mean, we might even see laser get used first in the lower price point, um, non-4K projector perhaps, because obviously Epson have got their laser projector and that's sort of five, six grand. Um, nowhere near as bright, I have to say, as the, as the Z1. Um, 
Um, but then again, it has better blacks because of it. So it swings and roundabouts. Um, but yeah, we will see this technology trickling down into lower price points over the next few years, and that's that could only be good good news for enthusiasts, can't it? Yeah, and I think that you know the best all rounder that I've seen that does everything. It's still eight thousand pounds, and that's the the VW five fifty. Was impressed with that because it it still had decent black levels, even though it was pushing the um, it was pushing the brightness for HDR, and the HDR was was watchable on it. It wasn't fantastic, but it, it, it was good enough. Um, so there is one all-rounder out there at the minute that has a native 4K chip and, and does do a, a fairly decent job for the consumer market, but still £8,000. And yeah. when you look you look at something like the Epson TW9300, you know, little projectors like that that can take UHD Blu-ray signals that are, are, are bright enough but have a really good colour filter in them to match DCI or get really quite close to DCI for £3,000. That that's that's where people should be looking at the minute if they're looking for a projector, you know, models like that, and and obviously the new JVCs that are coming in. That's where you should be looking because the Sony's at that price point. Everything's manual on them, so manual zoom, manual lens shift, and all the rest of it. Whereas mm. the Epson's fully motorized, and as is the the lower JVC. So, okay, so that's the the JVC Z one. Uh, the review. Uh, it might be up by the time you listen to this podcast. I'm not really sure. It's a long weekend, uh, but it is lined up, ready to go. So you uh, you may get to see that. Uh, right, so let's round up hardware with some gaming. Let's go to Mark. But right, Mark, what's your story this week? Uh, yeah, this is just a, an extra little bit about um, the news about Xbox uh, Scorpio last week. Um, it was kind of saved over so it could get a bit more coverage, it seems. But... Um, seems like it's going to support uh, AMD's FreeSync and variable refresh rate from HDMI 2.1, which um, I don't think I'd be alone in having assumed that we'd probably have to wait for kind of the next proper full generation of uh, consoles to see this technology. But it's, yeah, it's pretty big news. It means that um, hopefully that, that idea of kind of moving display technology and the consoles forward in, in kind of tandem and that they're, they're driving part of that um movement towards hdmi 2.1 is gaining some momentum um it's big news in the sense that it means that uh you should see um smoother smoother frame rates it means that it should eliminate uh screen tearing and it, it it's generally just yeah it's, it's a kind of massive game changer yep it's uh and, and it's something which i think now that we've seen this news coming out and if this this can actually be confirmed um it points to what we've been suspecting steve um having had our conversation with hdmi at ces which is that a lot of the new tvs should have enough headroom for this uh this 2.1 update rather than needing a, a hardware change yeah it would all it will depend on apparently is just how much bandwidth is required so as long as it's less than 18 you give us a second then um they'll be able to update their HDMI inputs to handle various, not everything that 2.1 can cover, because some of the things like 8K you know, are irrelevant anyway, but it will be able to handle uh, up to 60p, and it can be able to handle things like um, variable refresh rates and uh, dynamic metadata and things like that, EARC and that sort of stuff. So you'll get a lot of the benefits of 2.1 without necessarily having everything, but then some of the things it won't do are irrelevant, like 120 frames per second isn't really an issue at the moment, and neither is, um, neither is 8K, so we'll get the main stuff. And that, that's what people want for the next four, four or five years. I'm going to move it on. Uh, we're going to move on from hardware. But it is funny, just leave this as a thought, that all the hype and and push for 8K for Japan in 2020, isn't it funny that oh, that's all just died away? Yeah, it always felt like it was slightly optimistic. Yeah, 
yeah and and now it's just there's no mention of it whatsoever and even companies like Hisense who said they were bringing an 8k tv last year went quiet on that one as well i think that reflects the general perception that it's not so much about the number of pixels that has the quality of the pixels isn't it yeah plus plus we're still struggling to get 4k working (laughs) (laughs) right let's move on movie news next So moving on with movie news, I'm not even going to talk about my unlimited card. It's uh, poof, having a time to use it. But let's look at what's opening up uh, this Good Friday. And I've got to say, Steve, really surprised with this. The first white goods full-length movie, uh, the Beko experiment. <laughs> Starring George Mead. <laughs> yep, George Mead in the starring role. Uh, if anybody remembers George from LG, he moved to Beko. Yeah, that, uh, that's a misreading. It's not the Beko experiment, is it? It's the Belko experiment, um, which it was written, interestingly, by James Gunn, who who is more famous for being the writer-director of Guardians of the Galaxy and the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But he wrote this, um, and it's, it sounds like quite an interesting film. It's The premise appears to be a group of people are at work, you know, at, at the company, a company called Belko, and um, they're basically announced in, in the morning that... Um, a small number of you will be leaving the office tonight. The rest of you are going to die. And there's about eight people in the office, and it's basically a fight for survival, involving various uh, um, sort of very nasty ways of killing people. Um, so it sounds like it might be quite good fun. I know I've seen some posters for it, various different posters involving different office instruments, like you know staplers and that sort of stuff, and using them as uh, as methods of killing people. So, so, so basically, uh, this is battle royale with adults and with, with with off- office implements. <laughs> I'd battle love royale it with it staplers. I'd love it if it had been shot in the United Airlines office. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the icing on the cake, but, you know, alas. <laughs> so that's out on Friday. And also out on Friday is Colossal, which is, has an interesting premise as well. It stars Anne Hathaway, and she basically is a woman living in America. And there's a giant monster attacking Korea, and she begins to realise that her movements are controlling the monster in, um, in Korea. Um, and then there's the various moral aspects that come along with that. So, um, like I say, it's a bizarre um, concept, but uh, certainly an interesting one. You, you and, would have thought um, it would have gotten a bigger release. <laughs> yeah. So if you're an Anna Hathaway fan, I guess that's one for you. Or if you like monsters smashing up um, Asian cities, then uh, again. Could be well, if you've got a giant Anne Hathaway fetish, I mean, that's probably yeah. most of the way there, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so let's move on. Blu-ray releases this week. Uh, we've got the fantastic Sully and a few others. Yeah, Sully's out on Blu-ray and Ultra HD Blu-ray this week. Um, if you haven't seen the film, I can recommend it. I think it's a very enjoyable film. There are some minor issues. We've mentioned them in previous podcasts about the way they treat the NTSB. But uh, as an Ultra HD Blu-ray in particular, absolutely amazing. Uh, also, we've got Ballerina, uh, which is an animated film about a ballerina, uh, which Kaz really liked. <laughs> It's got some strange, strange and eclectic tastes. Uh, we've also got a film called Mine, starring Army Hammer, about a, a soldier, a sniper in the desert who has to get out of a minefield. Um, and finally, Birth of a Nation, which is not the one made by D.W. Griffiths, but uh, a recent film about uh, a slave uprising that uh, was touted as, as the big awards thing last year, but actually didn't come to anything in the end. Uh, but that's out on Blu-ray as well. Okay. And um, I went and picked up my copy of Rogue One on Monday. And it's still sitting in the cellophane. <laughs> tut, 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 tut. Anybody? Uh, Ed? Uh, sorry, what was that? Did you I get was, Rogue One? Uh, no, not yet. Um, I, will, I will secure it 
but um uh no we we um i i did just bought a biolite load of vinyl surprisingly enough so. <laughs> <laughs> that's really just, it's not like you at all Ed. that's not no, like you I know. Thunk it. Um, I, i've got to say that in tesco they had the uh i think they've got the exclusive of the big format so the the laser disc sized sleeve thing did you get all nostalgic uh, when you saw it no I just thought, what a what a, what a, a rip off! It's extra fiver for it. So um, yeah. I thought, nah, I'll, I'll just get the fifteen quid two D version. I don't need three D or anything like that. I'll just watch it, watch it as I saw it in the cinema. Although I haven't you... I haven't had time to watch it yet. <laughs> I haven't seen it in two D yet. I mean, that's one of the pushes for me um, getting it because uh, I didn't enjoy the three D performance at all. It was like being uncomfortably drunk. Uh, so I, 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 you know, I will I will be securing it, but unfortunately, you know how it is discogs lulled into a false sense of security see something come up you haven't seen for sale in a while and you know one thing leads to another and you've spent your discretional spending allowance for the week have you seen the latest spec savers uh, advert for getting your kids to go and get their eyes checked yeah i have i don't understand i, 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 I don't understand what the dad's doing what what is the dad doing sitting on the chair with his record in his hand I've... I, well he looks like he's doing an anti-stat sort of thing but not very well it's just sort of being done for television but I, 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 it's one of those things where the some of the spec savers, not just this one, and this is not a specific dig at, at you know the whole you know abuse of vinyl thing. It's more a case of yes, okay, it, it, the the joke is that they don't see terribly well, but it would also infer that they've got some sort of terrible nerve disorder because they also te- <laughs> apparently can't feel very well either. But you know, yeah, meh. That's just me being grumpy. What can yeah. I say? Mr. Buttright, have you seen Rogue One yet? No, no, that's why I had to very gingerly look past the quotes that we started with for this damn podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well I, I was speaking as the only person who has watched it <laughs> in both 2D and 3D. Uh, uh, it's great. It's uh, Well, um, the 2D looks stunning. Um, I thought it was really good. I mean, it's a real shame that Disney aren't doing Ultra HD Blu-ray yet because it was shot 65, 6.5K, 4K DI. The Blu-ray looks stunning. Um, soundtrack's fantastic. Again, no immersive audio from Dolby. But we we know there's Dolby Atmos soundtrack. Yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be that. coming. This is Disney. Yeah. This is Star Wars. There'll be sixteen different editions by. Yeah, you know, you'll buy week. all of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And also, they'll probably have a collector's edition before the end of the year anyway, because um, yeah, I know for a fact that there's more content, um, more interviews and stuff that I've seen online that weren't on the disc, which was really annoying. Um, and obviously, as we mentioned last week, there's a shed load of <laughs> deleted scenes. So, uh, uh, yeah, that, that upcoming. Um, this, I thought it looked and sounded fantastic. 3D, not so much. Not because it's bad 3D. It's obviously it's a post, post-production conversion. But um, a lot of the film is very, very sad depth of field, the way it's shot. And it doesn't really lend itself to three I dimensions. I thought it was horrible, the depth of field. It was, and it was the way that the only item in focus would be a, a blade of, gla- of grass three feet behind the character's head it's just like I, I don't get this at all as I say it's like you know uh, it's when, when you uh, you realise you've been drinking steadily for five hours yeah. and then trying to stand up but, I mean that that works in 2D because you know it's a 2D effect shallow depth of field uh, to give you that 3D feel so you know the background's out of focus where your subject is completely in focus uh, you know it's a trick that goes back to the beginning of the cinema but it's never ever worked with 3D never worked it's never felt right and that's the case. I mean, obviously, that's because studios just think, oh, we must put out a 3D version. Um, but, you know, making a 3D film properly is, is a very different process to making a 2D film, particularly if you're actually using it with 3D cameras. The way you line up shots, the way you move the camera, everything is different. It's a different uh, you know, language when you're shooting in 3D. And you can't just convert it into 2D and expect it to look as good. Um, unfortunately, almost everything now is... In fact, we're at the point now where, incredibly, Michael Bay 
can quite honestly say, as he did a couple weeks ago in an IMAX trailer for um, the new Transformers movie, it's the only live-action film released this summer shot on native 3D cameras. Everything else is post-production. Yeah, and, and it'll be the only film this summer that I avoid <laughs> completely. Um, <laughs> right, let's move on. Ultra HD Blu-ray, Any anything decent yet coming out? Uh, one big announcement, which actually came out this, last night, uh, which is that Logan is coming out on Ultra HD Blu-ray, at least in, I don't know about the UK at the moment, but definitely in the States, uh, Logan is coming out on Ultra HD Blu-ray on the 23rd of May. So not that far away, actually. Uh, and a great film, and definitely one I'm going to pick up. Okay. Obviously. <laughs> uh, obviously, this is Easter weekend. You're listening to this Monday onwards. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. It's opening day of Star Wars Celebration, uh, which is taking place uh, in the States this Orlando. year. It was it was Europe last year, uh, so it's Orlando this year. Um, lots of things, lots of live feeds that have probably happened by the time that you listen to this podcast that we haven't seen yet. But I know that I'll be uh, I'll be looking at quite a few of the streams that are that are taking place on StarWars.com. Lots of interesting things happening. Um, at the moment, we only know little bits and pieces, so we'll tell you about the little bits and pieces, but by the time you probably listen to this, we'll have all seen the trailer. Um, yeah. Um, yes, like you say, Phil, it's Thursday lunchtime right now. Kicks off this afternoon in um, UK time with a massive uh, 40th anniversary Star Wars panel with Mark Hamill and Hayden Christensen and various other people on it. Um but tomorrow, on a Friday for us, um, as we're recording this, there will be the episode eight panel where we should get the release of the first trailer. So I can't wait to see that. In terms of other bits and bobs that have been knocking around news-wise, um, it was announced that Carrie Fisher will be appearing in episode nine. They're going to re- they're going to repurpose footage shot for episode seven and eight. Mark so Hamill's uh, Mark Hamill's doing a, a tribute to is, now. Is that that's happening over the weekend? Isn't it? That's happening over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, because um, their family announced that they gave permission to her for them to do this um, in, in episode nine. They're not CGing her, uh, a la uh, A New Hope. Uh, sorry, not A New Hope, <laughs> a la um, uh, Rogue One. But um, but they are going to use footage so that she will be in it in some form or another, which I think is quite nice. I'd be ashamed for her not to be in the, the ninth film in some fashion because um, her character is obviously so important to everything. Yeah, I mean, the, the easy way out would have been to have her in some ship that got destroyed. And yeah, yeah, that that would be an easy way out for them. So it's it's good to see that they're gonna they're gonna try and purpose her into this film in some way. Yeah, and uh, also um, apparently Guillermo del Toro has, has been having pitch meetings with with um, Lucasfilm to talk about Star Wars recently. Um, he he mentioned only this week, uh, which is interesting because uh, I, I I like him as a filmmaker. I think he he's got a great imagination. It'd be interesting to see what he could bring to the Star Wars universe. And obviously there is this other standalone film that's been announced, but we don't know anything about yet. No title, nothing. Um, that was coming out in 2020 because this year obviously we've got episode eight next year it's Han Solo the one after that is uh, 2019 will be episode nine so yeah 2020 there's going to be another standalone film we know nothing about it yet but maybe it might involve um, Yoma del Toro which would I think would be really exciting the uh, Jack Porkins story <laughs> where I mean the, the big rumour after the, the Rogue One scene is is Vader but Personally, I wouldn't want to see that because I think with Vader, I think it's more powerful more. using using him uh, just yeah. briefly in in flashbacks or whatever, or like the ending of Rogue One. I think overuse, over familiar, you would you would lose the the character. I think, and I think that's the one thing that that Lucas did do properly in in the, tr- the original trilogy was to use him just in certain scenes, in certain pivotal moments in in the movies, and he wasn't on screen all the time. 
Because the temptation is to do that, but I think that'd be the wrong thing to do. Also, if you have any too many uh, speaking scenes for Vader, and you have to rely on James Earl Jones, who is getting on a bit now, and it is quite noticeable in Rogue One. His voice is not the same. You know, it's it's an old man's voice now um, because obviously he's an old man. Um, yeah, you want to try and avoid that. I think. I think less is more with Vader, and um, but there's also been talk about maybe doing something with um, Ewan McGregor because he's sort of just about the right age now to play. Um, Obi Obi Wan <laughs> hanging around in his dressing gown on, on Tatooine, going into yeah. getting thrown out of a restaurant and saying that's a hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be a, a really an interesting film, wouldn't it? The, you know, the Tatooine years. Either that, or um, as I say, my long-standing uh, gripe with uh, health and safety. Just just showing the Empire's health and safety division at work. You know, designing a library with a good eight hundred foot drop. And you know, oh, by the way, you can only adjust that if you go out into that perilous walkway. You know, have we have we thought this through, so on and so forth? But that's a particular gripe of mine, I guess. Sorry, just really so, annoys. Yes, so hopefully we'll we'll be a lot. By the time you listen to this podcast, we'll know a lot more about what's going on with all things Star Wars. Which is the annoying thing when we're having to record this early because it's Easter weekend and there's big events happening, and and I'm sure we're going to have lots to say next next. Uh, Friday on the podcast for the following Monday, which is quite a distance away. But yes, I'm sure we'll bore everyone to tears with our thoughts on Star Wars. I d- no doubt. There's no <laughs> doubt that we're going to do that. Absolutely. Yes, and if a major airline is reading this and wants to commit another random atrocity against its passengers, or at least something else newsworthy to happen to just temper the amount of Star Wars we do next week, that would be fantastic. <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, we can talk about some vinyl as well, Ed. You're all right. Good. Because you, you'll have... Um, quite the legend to talk about next uh, yeah that's, next the, that's the idea this is uh, so I, I wait with base breath to see uh, what my what the responses are to, to that in, so we'll in fact go. how old is that item uh it started the they first shipped to customers i believe in mid 1972 45 this year 45 this year wow so if you are well worried about stalls. if you're worried about encroaching obsolescence issues with any televisions Boy, have I got the solution for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, Ed, it means getting up off your arse to go over and turn it over for the next for the following I day. can't I'm not saying I've got the complete answer I've got the answer to everything. <laughs> I'm merely I have a solution. But it's it's maybe what this generation needs, Ed. You know what I mean? To get up off the bums and yeah, go and do I'd some bring exercise. Back national service. <laughs> 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 no, I can respect that if it's still working, you know. Something of that age that continues to do exactly what it was designed to do. There's something, you know. Very, very, you know, laudable in that, I think. Actually, do you know what? There was an article in The Economist, not this week, week before, about how we actually might be coming back out of planned obsolescence as a design fate, uh, design construct for many items that we're buying. That um, there are different ways of ensuring, ensuring that you, you continue to make money from the customer, be it by either a subscription basis or continuing to pay for access to software updates or things like that. But the mechanical hardware for certain items, it's no longer being designed with a view to it being chucked and replaced. Which I think you're going to see, you're going to see an increase of things like modular designs and things like that. That's yeah. slowly catching on once again. But I think that's very admirable. I think that's very cool. And uh, if we can get out of this habit of, you know, everything being scrap after four to five years, I think that's that's ideal. I think that's very, very cool. So, 
Yeah, I'm all well, for that. Well, see, I, I saw a statistic the other day which said in the last 50 years, uh, humans have used up 52% of the Earth's um, natural resources, which says to me that's not sustainable. Well, no, but um, equally, it's hard to calculate exactly what constitutes a resource at any given time in humanity's history. It's like, for example, we are statistically all out of whale oil, and that isn't really the problem that it would have been in say 1790 so it, it's all about it's all about movement through no, and if last, austerity the, the main thing again. the main thing was it was in the last 50 years yeah well you bought that mustang most of it's your fault yeah you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i as i was saying just before the, before we started recording I, i've i've started now taking medication which i will probably have to take for the rest of my about life time ed <laughs> Yes, thanks, darling. Um, but you know, it's all that you know. And, and any any sort of any thoughts of you know being one of the uh, the hardened survivors in a post-apocalyptic thing? It's like, well, no, not unless I've got a very long long-lasting supply of these pills. I was like, oh, great. You know. <laughs> I did change my diet. I was a teetotal vegetarian for a month and a half. They still checked my uric acid levels, and they were still off the clocks. I have unfortunately biologically lost the ability to control them. So, yay. I now need to be medicated. It's it's the thrill of getting old. You oh never, yeah, you never know. You never know what's going to break next or not work next. <laughs> what was it? Well, you're full, I'm in full already in full on debt. I make funny noises when I sit down and stand up. Yeah, <laughs> like a deflating accordion. I caught myself doing that getting out of the Mustang last night. <laughs> yeah, knees knees like two pistol shots until I stand up now. Well, it's, it's your memory. I'm worried about. <laughs> My memory. Hey, you keep, so like, you keep forgetting like, things. It sounds like this turntable is going to outlast all of us, then. Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt it will. And on that bombshell, that's it for uh, this week's podcast. Thanks very much to Steve Withers. There's a problem on the horizon. There's no horizon. Ed Selly. Not me. I can survive in space. And Mark Botwright. Charming. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark avforums.com for latest reviews, news, and videos. And of course, why not leave us a five star ratings on iTunes? But only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening. Happy Easter, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.